The strange writing on this clay brick is known as cuneiform. Now, this script was used for hundreds of years in ancient history. Here, international presenter Gary Webster and travel with him to ancient Babylon and the island of Patmos to discover how ancient mysteries reveal the future. Jesus is telling us in Revelation now through John's vision, evil is to invade the church. Why? Because sadly the church would turn away from God's word. That's what he's telling us. It's very scarce to get the word of God. It's very pricey. It is a famine in other words. The church would turn from the word of God. Now, if you've ever studied a little bit of the history of Christianity, you will see just how true this was. Constantine was the first Christian Roman emperor. Constantine was very savvy. He could see that Christianity was growing. In fact, you know, even though the Romans had persecuted the Christians for nearly 200 years, it wasn't working. For every person they killed, 10 seemed to spring up in their place. This, the blood of martyrs was like the seed. It just continued to grow as people were impressed by the fact that these people were so much uh, connected with God that they, 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 they died with joy, knowing that when they should wake again, they would, be, they would have eternity. These people had a hope for the future. They had a purpose for living and you couldn't stop them even with all the persecutions of the Romans. And Constantine could see that Christianity was growing like wildfire and it was going to take over his empire. And so he came up with a new idea. Being politically savvy, he said, if you can't beat them, join them. So Constantine became the first Christian Roman emperor. Now, This was a union of the government and Christianity, in fact. It was a political ploy on his part so that he could achieve his agenda. But it meant a union between the state and the religion or the government and religion. Christianity, by 324 AD, became the official religion of the Roman Empire. In fact, Rome became Christian. But there was a high price that Christianity paid. You see, the pagan Romans, their beliefs and their practices now flooded into the Christian church. Let me share with you what historians know about this period of time. Historians know very clearly that that's exactly what happened. Many of the pagan beliefs now came into the Christian church. The new Christians were, as far as thinking and habits went, the same old pagans. Their surge into the churches did not wipe out paganism. On the contrary, says the historians, hordes of baptized pagans, it says, meant that paganism had diluted the moral energies of organized Christianity to the point of impotence. In other words, Now, by this union of church and state, where many pagans flooded into the Christian church, not because it was some conscious choice, not because they wanted to follow Christ, but because it was convenient, because the government wanted it that way, sadly, it affected the Christian movement in a big, big way. 
and numerous biblical teachings were altered or dropped through pagan influence, as one can see if you take time to study these things. Now, I want you to notice, evil is to invade the church. Black, why did it happen? Because an absence of the word of God. People in the church turned aside from the word of God for these teachings that actually came from pagan teachings. But there was a cry, don't harm the oil and the wine. Now, in the Bible, oil is an energy source. That's where you get the oil to light your little lamps. You saw some of those lamps we had on display in the first weekend. These little tiny oil lamps. This was olive oil because this was the the source of energy for those lights to bring light. Now, the oil in the Bible is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Notice the way we see it. When David was going to become the king, the prophet Samuel came to him and poured oil on him. Notice what it says about this. The Bible says, then Samuel took the horn of oil. This is like a a ram's horn and put oil in it. He took the oil, horn of oil, and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So this oil represents the Holy Spirit in the Bible. So John is being told, is, is hurt, don't hurt the oil. Even though darkness is coming into the Christian church, don't hurt the oil. In other words, let the Holy Spirit do its work. Now the work of the Holy Spirit is threefold. The work of the Spirit, first of all, number one, is this. It is to convict us of sin and of right and of judgment. Jesus put it this way when he was talking to his followers. When he, that's the Holy Spirit, when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now, we talked about that the other day when Jonah went to Nineveh, that tremendously gross city of the Assyrians, people who would skin a man alive, people who would impale their victims on stakes and behead people at the drop of a hat. And we could have said a lot more about what the Assyrians did. But when Jonah went and preached by the power of the Spirit of God, they were deeply convicted of their wrong living. And the Bible says they repented, even the king. They turned from their their sinful ways because the power of God convicted them of not only their sin, but what was going to happen to their city. And they changed. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, and I'm glad God gives him that work because if we kept on going the way we're going, many of us, we would completely lose on eternity. We would just keep going oblivious to the things that are wrong, but he convicts us of what is wrong and what is right and of judgment to come. But not only that, the work of the Spirit is to make us God's children by new birth. A man came to Jesus one night. He was a very rich man. He was a leader of the Jewish people, and he was a religious teacher, a very powerful man. He wanted to know one thing, what do I have to do to have eternity? And when he met Jesus, the first thing Jesus said to him was this, Nicodemus, you must be born again. You can imagine that man was a bit upset that Jesus should address him that way. But he said, you must be born again because only those born again, meaning having a new life from the inside out, will ever enter the kingdom of God. 
Now, it's the work of the Holy Spirit to change us from the inside out. Notice what Jesus said. Jesus answered most assuredly. In other words, this is the truth, Nicodemus. Assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Strong words from Jesus, but words that are true because that's the only way. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes us new. In other words, we become the children of God, born of the Spirit or born of God. The Holy Spirit's third work is this. He brings us power. He brings us the presence of God and the love of God so that we treat others with dignity. Paul wrote to his friends and he said these words. He said that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might or power through his spirit in our inner being or the inner man inside, he said, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This is the first part. He says it's the spirit who brings the power, the dynamite power to change us from the wrong direction to the right direction. It's the Spirit of God who brings the presence of God into our lives. That's the wonderful thing. When we follow Jesus, we are never alone. God is always with us through his Spirit. There was a little girl. She was petrified of the dark, scared stiff of the dark, like many kids are. And uh, she heard about this one day from this sort of a verse. Someone was sharing it. And she came running home and she said, Mommy, I never need to be afraid anymore because... God is always with me through the Holy Spirit. Her mother said, okay, if that's true, she was a smart lady. She said, if that's true, after dark, you go upstairs and stay up there for half an hour all on your own. Now, you imagine a little kid, half an hour in the dark. So when it got dark, the little girl went upstairs and she was there for half an hour. Half an hour later, she came running back. She says, mommy, it was true. It's true. She said, I wasn't scared one bit. I knew that God was with me. And that's the truth, my friend. When we have accept Christ, we are never alone. God is always with us. A marvelous teaching. But the last one was this. We mentioned that the love of God comes to us. Paul wrote this to his friends in Rome. The love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. That's why when somebody comes to Christ, the the, the grumpy old man is going to become a sweet man. The violent kid like Vilelli is going to become as tame as a pussycat because God gives the love of God into our hearts. We become different people and it's because of the Holy Spirit. That's why it said, don't harm the oil, but it also said, don't harm the wine. Now, we all understand from going to uh, church, often many of us, or go to mass or communion, whatever it is, we see this wine. This is a symbol of Christ's blood, which brings the new covenant. So if you've ever been to any of those Christian services where they have the communion or whatever it is, the Eucharist and so on, the wine is a symbol of Christ's blood, which brings the new covenant. Now, the Bible puts it this way. Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Notice he doesn't say it's just tipped, it's poured out. There is abundant grace in the death of Jesus Christ. What's the new covenant? We read that the other night, but I would remind you again, Paul writes to his friends, his Hebrew, his Jewish friends, this is the covenant that I will make, says the Lord. 
He says, I will put my laws in their minds. In other words, we will want to do the right thing. And I will write them in their hearts. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. We'll belong, he says. And all shall know me. In other words, be my friend. From the least of them to the greatest of them. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. He says, I will remember no more. You can sleep like a baby with that sort of a promise, can't you? Beautiful promise. This is the new covenant. It means we are forgiven. Our past is taken away. Number two, he says, we are reconciled to God. God is our friends. Even more, we are his children. And thirdly, he says, God's law is in our lives. We become good people from the inside out. The angry person becomes sweet. The dishonest person becomes honest. The drunkard becomes sober. The proud becomes humble. That's the power of the Holy Spirit who comes to us and does all that sort of thing for us. And through Jesus Christ, this is what is called the new covenant. And it's by the blood of Jesus himself we just read. So he says, don't hurt the oil, don't hurt the wine. So here is a new life of powerful, loving, living And it comes because God makes the Holy Spirit available to us. So the third church, third uh, seal, I should say, is the Christian church from 313 AD down to 538 AD. What is happening here? This sadly is an apostate Christianity. A Christianity has turned away from the Bible, that has turned away from God's word, and evil has has started to come in, and that's exactly what we find when historians track this next period. Sadly, this is what took place. By the way, my friends, If you think about the Old Testament, it's addressed to the Jewish people and most of it is trying to help them to course correct. Israel was to be, we saw the other evening, God's servants to help the rest of the world. That was their purpose. They were put on earth, they were part of God's plan to help the rest of humanity find peace, find joy in life, find a hope for the future, find meaning in life. But most of the time they turned away from God's words, from his commandments we saw, and that's why the prophets were sent again and again and again. Now in the Christian period, we notice that God sends messages to the Christian church because they are to be his instrument to help the world today. And God says it like it is because he wants to help people who profess to be his followers and he wants them to be helpful to the rest of the world to help the world to come to a knowledge of life. So God sends messages and sometimes they are a little bit hard for us as people to understand, but that's what it says. This the apostate Christianity, Christianity that's moved aside, that's fallen down. It's God is trying to bring it back to the truth of the Bible here. Number four now, we notice, the fourth seal. John sees in the fourth seal a pale horse. Notice what it says here. Fourth seal. When he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And the Bible says, And the name of him who sat on it was Death. And Hades followed with him, and power was given them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, 
and by the beasts of the earth. Here we have a picture of Christianity in the next phase from 538 AD to around about 1500 AD, 1517, and we'll see why tomorrow. It's that period. Why is this? What's going on here? In other words, death is going to come. Now you see, what have we gone? We've gone from a white horse to red to black, which is a famine going on. And if you keep a famine going on, what comes next? You die, death. And this is the progression we're seeing in John's seven seals, the first four. Death is now following on the heels of a famine. Now, first of all, he's talking about spiritual death. Because sadly, as the Christian church departed from the word of God and started to take on board many of the things from paganism, as history shows us, sadly, we find that death comes in, spiritual death. The Bible puts it this way. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. It's possible. The Bible says we can be a living dead person spiritually. We have no eternal life in us. That's what it's saying. We're just a human being without the hope of eternity because we have no Christ in our life. You he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once, he says, walked according to the course of this world. You were following the things of the world, he's saying. According to the prince of the power of the air. That's a name for Satan in the Bible. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. All of us once lived like that, says Paul. We lived for ourselves. We followed the devil, even though we didn't realize it, because we weren't following the ways of God and his word. Jesus said, as we saw, the words I have spoken to you, they are spirit and they are life. So if we discard the word of God, if we turn away from God and his word, then we turn away from life. All that's left is death. And that's what was happening within Christianity, sadly. An absence of the word of God gives famine, spiritual famine. And it produces spiritual death. This is what happens in our own personal lives. Should you, should I turn away from God and his word, we will be spiritually dead inside. Our homes, should the family neglect the word of God, there will be a deadness in the home. Should families do that, the nation, the community is dead spiritually and there is really not good that follows. You see, because when people do not follow the word of God, they follow the ways of the devil. And the ways of the devil, Jesus said, are lying and destruction. And that's one reason why in countries like our own, in Western countries, which have discarded the idea of God and therefore discarded and put away his word, that's why we are reaping the whirlwind today. That's why we're going down morally because we have no guide as to how we should guide our homes, our nation. We are following the old devil, sadly. That's what happened. An absence of God's word brings famine and eventually it produces spiritual death. But not only spiritual death, physical death follows. Because when I'm dead spiritually, I'm now going to treat others with disrespect. I'm going to act out the things that now are in my life. That's what happens and that's why it moves from spiritual death 
to physical death. Now you think about this period of Christian history. The middle-aged church we're talking about, this is this period from 538 on downwards. We call it the Dark Ages. It was a, it was a bloodbath in many respects. For example, Christians went to war against the Muslims, the Crusades. Now, this was certainly not according to Jesus. Jesus said very clearly to Peter, when Peter took a sword and cut off the servant, the, the ear of the high priest, uh, the ear of the servant of the high priest, Jesus said, put your sword away, Peter. Those who take the sword will perish with the sword. Jesus said, this is the only sword a follower of mine should have, the sword of the Spirit. But now the Christian church went to war against those who did not believe as they believed. The Crusades took place. Then there were wars between Christians themselves, one country fighting another country, yet both professing to be followers of Jesus Christ. The Hundred Years' War in between France and England from 1337 to 1453. The Black Death. Why did Europe have all these horrible things like the bubonic plague and the Black Death? There's only one good, there's one good reason. You see, in the Bible, in the Word of God, it tells us all about the principles of hygiene. In fact, scholars, medical people have said that when you look at the, the Bible, it has great principles for hygiene that are scientifically sound. When Christianity turned aside from the word of God and followed the ideas of human beings and paganism, then they discarded that which could help them. And there's one of the great reasons we have all these horrible things in the dark ages. Let me just illustrate it for you quickly. If you went to Europe back in these times... You would have the potty in the kitchen. That's where the pot was back in these times. So what do you do when it comes time to empty the potty? Well, you got up in the middle of the night, you got hold of the pot, you went to the window and you dumped it out the window onto the ground below. That's why everybody, when they went to work next day, they wore high heel shoes to keep above that stuff because every other one, every other home was emptying the potty the same way. Now the Bible said, listen, when you go to the toilet, he told the Israelites, when you go to the toilet, take a shovel with you and bury the stuff. But Europe had so far departed from the Bible, weren't following these principles, that that's one of the reasons we have all of this trouble. One of the reasons, not the only reason. But there are great principles on how to preserve health through being hygienic in the Word of God. So no wonder these things happened in Europe because we turned aside from many of the great principles. Then there were the Inquisitions where Christians were hunted simply because they were following the Bible and reading the Bible. In fact, many Christians were killed because they translated the Bible into the languages of the people, sadly. Now, this is certainly part of history. In fact, I, I really appreciate the honesty of Pope John Paul II because he talked about these things when he was the Bishop of Rome. He, he mentioned these things that sadly had happened within Christianity where many Christians were burnt at the stake and so on. And notice what he said in the act of contrition. In the Jubilee year and the season of Lent, Pope John Paul II confronted the Crusades, the Inquisition, the Holocaust even, and the other horrors in seeking to express regret for sins committed in the past 2,000 years. And that's sadly what had happened. And Pope John Paul was honestly acknowledging this exactly what history portrays. And that's what John is portraying. He's saying that through this period, sadly, this is what would take place.
as Christianity departed from the word of God, now we have physical death itself. 538 AD, but not only physical death, the result of spiritual death is eternal death. But thank God that where sin abounds, his grace much more abounds. God loves a world even when it's deep in sin. God loves the church when it's deep down the gutter like it was going according to John. God loves where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Notice what it says here. Paul has just talked about how people are spiritually dead and then he mentions these words to his Ephesian friends, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. And then he uttered these words, by grace you have been saved. I don't know what your life is like tonight and what's happening in your life, but I know one great truth and that is this. We may be so low down because we've done so much Bad stuff, but God's love is greater than our worst stuff. And that's what he's telling us there. But God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, when, meaning when Jesus died and rose again, when we accept him, we have life. So here was this fourth period now, a period in which from 538 AD, Sadly, because there was a famine for the word of God, now we have a period down to 1517 where in the Christian church we have deathly Christianity. Christianity that's not really giving life and certainly not life at all itself. This was the period of the fourth seal. Finally for tonight, the fifth seal. John sees souls under the altar in this fifth seal. Souls under the altar. Notice what he says. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those, he says, who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, he says, saying, How long, Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe, he says, was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren or brothers who should be killed as they were was completed. Now, what is going on here? What is taking place here? Well, the altar of incense is a place of sacrifice. And this represents what took place now within the Christian church from 1517 down to the, about 1800, 1798. And we're going to see why we use those time periods from John and Daniel as we come into the next weekend. Next week, we'll see very clearly. Now, the altar was a place of sacrifice. Here is the temple, a model of it, set up by some Israelis in the desert region, just around Jericho, you can see this altar here. This is where the animals that were sacrificed, they were burnt on this altar of offering, of burnt offerings. This is the place, in other words, of sacrifice. And what John is saying is this, the followers of Jesus are dying for the cause of Christ. They are sacrificing their lives for Christ and his cause. And this is exactly what happened from 1517 onwards. It had already begun in the previous century, as we can see. 
I want to bring you now to Constance. Some of you may have been to Constance in South Germany, just above Switzerland there. Back in 1414 to 1418, there was a large council that was called by the Empress Sigismund. This was the time of the Dark Ages and terrible things were happening in the Christian church, sadly. There were three bishops all ruling at the same time, all claiming to be the bishop of the church. And they were fighting each other with armies. One bishop was fighting another with armies. It was a terrible fiasco. And the Christians in the church, faithful priests, faithful bishops, people in the church said, what on earth is going on? And so did the emperor. He said, come on, we've got to sort this thing out. How can we have three bishops fighting each other with armies? We've got to sort this thing out. So he called a great council here to Constance. 1414 lasted for about four years, in fact, off and on. And this is the very building that they had this council in. Now, not only were they trying to sort out this problem about three bishops fighting one another, but there was a man, a priest, a faithful priest in the church who was saying that a person can be saved through faith in Jesus alone. He was quoting the Bible, the books of Paul, and quoting Jesus Christ. He was actually preaching the gospel of Jesus, and sadly it upset the leaders of the Christian church at this time. This is how bad things got. They asked that this man would be brought to the council as well, and he was tried before this council as well as these three bishops who were fighting each other. Yet he was just a humble priest preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ back in Czechoslovakia, we call today, or Prague. Now, the citizens of Constance have put up at the end of the jetty over Lake Constance this incredible statue. You can see it today. She, the statue twists around. Now, it's a prostitute, this lady, and she's got her hands up in the air, as you can see, and in one hand is a naked pope and a naked emperor. Now, what's going on here? The reason they've put this up is this is how bad things got in the Christian church at this time in history that the people said, we've got to change. Cardinals, bishops, priests, and even the emperor said, we've got to change. Something's going wrong. Why did they have this prostitute like this? Because 700 prostitutes turned up to this council to serve the 800 prelates and priests and so on who came to this council. Now, I, I tell you this story because it shows how bad things had got. Yet God loved his church. He wanted to change the church just like he wanted to change Israel back in the Old Testament. But that's how bad things had got. And John points this out. Now, sadly, the one of the first heads to roll because he was crying for a change was that of John Huss. And John Huss was taken out to this very place where you see this stone. And this humble priest of the church was burnt to death, as was his friend Jerome a year later. A sad time in the history of the Christian church. But from then on, many faithful priests, many godly bishops, they lost their lives as well during the next two or three hundred years because they were in the church calling for a change, calling for a reform, calling for something different. In fact, you know, in France, sadly, in the great cathedrals of Paris, like the Notre Dame Cathedral when 
on St. Bartholomew's Massacre where over 20,000 Christians were slaughtered by the soldiers of the church, sadly, for following the Bible and reading the scriptures. When that happened, the bells of the cathedrals rang for joy. You can see how bad things had gotten. In fact, when we go to England, we see that some faithful bishops, three of them, gave their life. They were burnt to death. And as two of them were side by side, each was being burnt, about to be burnt, one of them looked over to his friend and he said, he said, Master Ridley, you, you be faithful because we will light a fire today that will set England ablaze. And it's true. As a result of the death of these faithful bishops, England was helped to understand we must come back to the Bible. So even though these people gave their life, they helped others to come back to the word of God. But I've shown you this tonight so that we can understand how deep things had gone away. John had portrayed, yes, this would happen sadly within Christianity. Darkness would come in, then this would be followed by death. And then even more death when people who were faithful people in the church of God would give their life. And this is what happened. Thank God it ended around the end of the 1700s. John, in his fifth seal, souls under the altar, faithful people who gave their life for the cause of Christ. What's he telling us? From 1517 down to 1798, we have a period of what we call the Christian martyrs. The martyrs of Jesus, faithful men and women, priests and bishops who loved God and gave their life to help many men and women come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. You've been listening to Ancient Mysteries with Pastor Gary Webster on Faith FM. Join us again same time next week to discover more ways in which the history of our world confirms the Bible and its messages of the past and future. Right around Australia, you're listening to Faith FM. Faith FM.